I'll always tell it like it is, that's the bottom line If you just living to exist, you want borrow time Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no Don't ever let them take your soul, no, no, no I'll always tell it like it is, that's the bottom line If you just living to exist, you want borrow time Hey guys, Jim Walberg here from The Bottom Line. So uh, we're back, and we're back in a big way. We're back with, uh, with Miss America, Camille Schreier, and we are also joined by a mutual friend. Uh, Dan Schneider, the pharmacist from the Netflix docuseries, is back at this point, you might think Dan is my new co-host because we've done so many episodes together, but we're two guys that when we get together and we start talking about this, this issue, uh, we're both very passionate about it, and I feel like we could just talk all day long. But um, So I want to welcome Dan back. Dan, welcome back. And so I'm looking at you two guys, right? I got both of you on the screen in front of me, and... Uh, and I'm trying to figure this out, right? How did this happen? Did, so I know that I watched the Netflix series and, you know, I watched it and I, in the beginning, was like, this is really crazy. And then I just completely bought into it and I binged it. I watched the whole thing and I was like, this is my kind of guy. This is, this is my kind of guy. But I kind of went about my business and, and really didn't, you know, I just enjoyed it. I talked it up. I told people about it. And then my, uh, my producer slash director uh, jokes, Georgianes from, uh, from Miami, said to me, we should get that guy on the show. And I was like, do you think we can? Right? He was like, yeah, why, why, why not? And I was like, I mean, that's a huge thing, right? He was like, yeah, I think if you, I think you'll probably track him down. So I went to three resources, and I told the story uh, on the show already. But I went to a street guy. I went to a sort of like a connected politically uh, a, a, a politician guy, and then I went to the head of the DEA in New Orleans. And I happened to know all three of these guys, and I said to them all, "I'm looking to get in touch with this guy, Dan Schneider." The pharmacist, have you heard of him? And two of them were like, yeah, I heard of him. And one of them was like, no, I never heard of him, but I'll find him. And that was the street guy. And he came back to me. He's like, yeah, I got his address. And I was like, that's great. If I want to whack him, I need to talk to him. I need somebody to introduce me to him. I need somebody to advocate for me that, that I'm a guy who does what he says he does, right? And, uh, and then the, uh, the DEA guy came back and was like, ah, no, I, you know, I, I wasn't able to to, to get them, but I know a guy who knows a guy, and I was like, oh, well, I appreciate that. And then the politician guy, so the politician guy is like local politics in New Orleans. His son is a dear friend of mine, and he lives in Africa. So I called the kid in Africa and said, hey, you know, you're a New Orleans guy. Can you talk and see if you, and his, so he called me from Africa. He was like, hey, my dad got him. He got him. He called my dad right now. So I called, I called his dad, and he was like, not only do I gut him, but he really wants to talk to you, which I was humbled by, right? And, uh, and so how was it that, how did you reach out to Dan? How did this happen? Did you reach out to him or did he reach out to you? 
So funny enough, so I, of course, like everyone else, watched The Pharmacist. And as Miss America, I was looking for some kind of like entertainment representation um, in a lawyer. And I talked to a family friend here at home and it's like, I need somebody to help me kind of like negotiate this contract I'm working with. And so she referred me to a person down here in, or actually down in New Orleans. And who would think that a girl from Pennsylvania is going to go find a lawyer in New Orleans? Mm. Um, and the lawyer was like, hey, I have this other client. Like, you know, he is a pharmacist. Like he did this whole docu-series. And I was like, wait a second. And so she ended up connecting us. So funny enough. Um, do we both have uh, similar representation <laughs> and, um, we oh, got connected nice. and again, it's kind of like divine intervention that I feel like we're all at the right place. And, um, there was some reason why Dan's docuseries came out the same year I was Miss America advocating for this issue and everything is just working, um, in the right timing. Awesome. Dan, let me ask you a question, buddy. Miss America reaches out to you, right? Cause I know you're a humble guy, right? And we talked about sort of how you, it's really just starting to click with you. Like how many people have watched this thing and, and how many people it's impacted. But Miss America calls you up and says, hey, Dan, how you doing? It's Miss America here. And I want to talk to you about this. Like I'm going to be a pharmacist. And I saw the, the docuseries. Take me through that, man. Well, I was uh, really humbled. Actually, Miss America is a big deal to me, you know, so I'm, and I'm kind of a newfound, so to speak, celebrity. So to me, she was on a, I was on, you know, so I was really grateful that we, we could get together. I, I, want, I want to comment on what me, Emil, what Camille has been saying. This young lady is so wise beyond her years. Uh, so articulate, uh, you know, I, I wish that I could, you know, I, I know everything she knows and more, but sometimes I can't get it out. Okay. And, and she, she just, she's just a natural and way, way wise beyond her years and, and incredibly beautiful. And, and what, what I mean by that is like right now, I'm, I'm looking like a, a really good looking girl next door, but I want the audience to see and you, Jim, to see her glamour shot. <laughs> Dan, I like how he brings this out. <laughs> this is this is her glamour shot now. So like you know, I mean, like she's like a knockout. I mean, she you know, so uh, so uh, let's just you know, uh, I, I don't know. I, it, it's fantastic. But anyway, you're right about the divine intervention. Uh, the, the the connection on even how I discovered this attorney mm -hmm. was really bizarre. And uh, I think I said it earlier. So. I guess I won't go through it, but it was, it was strange that I connected with this attorney and then even stranger that this attorney happened to be connected to Miss America. Okay. Yeah. And so uh, it um, fell in place. And then, I mean, and then wait a second, when she actually told me she was connected to Miss America, it was kind of like, okay, so what's the big deal? You know, I mean, not, not that Miss America wasn't a big deal, but like what connection did I have to do with what I'm doing? She's a pharmacy student. Her, her platform talks about 130 people dying a day. I said, this is unreal. <laughs> this is like, this was a match made in heaven in a sense, you know. Hopefully together we can uh, be an even stronger voice, multiply each other's effects, you know, age and beauty. You know? Wow. 
Yeah, he's really laying it on there, isn't he? <laughs> you're the best, Dan. I love you. you get, see, you get a pass because you're old school, right? You're an old school guy. But I want to tell you that uh, I want to echo your excitement, right? But I want to echo it in the fact that I'm looking at you two guys, right? And, I'm, and I know that this is going to affect change, right? That the more people that we can get that have a platform to stand up and say, this is my platform, right? It's not a platform. It's not one of many platforms. This is my platform. This is the number one concern I have today that I want to address this issue. And once we start to make a dent in this issue, then I'll talk about other stuff. But right now I want to talk about this. And so that's very impactful to me. Um, as you know, Dan, um, you know, I travel around the country and I'm sort of on the front lines of this thing. And, uh, and I probably know a couple of thousand parents who have had to bury their children, you know. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't the plan. The plan was we made a film about addiction. It was going to be my contribution to the conversation because I'm a person in recovery. I felt like I was impacted like everybody else was impacted when it started to get the numbers started to get so outrageous it impacted me and it, and it made, I'm really, I'm a good Irish Catholic boy. So I'm really good at guilt. Right. And I felt very guilty that I wasn't using whatever it was that I had to, to make a statement or to make a contribution to a conversation. And so we made a film and uh, the goal was make the film, give it to the world, move on. Or give it to whoever. My, I thought maybe two or three people might watch it. I don't know, right? And I would go about my business. And then, um, and then I started to meet these families. And I started to meet people that had to bury their children. And the guilt got worse, right? Because they were out there advocating for change. They were getting out of bed in the morning, taking all the strength they had to get out of bed in the morning because they had lost their most in, the most important thing to them, Right? And they were going to go out and they were going to fight for change so that other people wouldn't have to have that experience. And, and I thought, how can I walk away? Right. And so I made a, an agreement with God, really. Right. I said, God, I'm not going to promote the fact that this is what I'm going to do. Right. But I'm going to just say, yes, anybody that comes to me and says, will you, I'm just going to say, yes, whatever the next question, whatever the next part of the question is, I'll let that be up to you. I'm just going to say yes. And so we started to do the work, right? And uh, my intention was never to know so many people that had lost their children. It was never to, you know, to be here on this podcast. This podcast is specifically about addiction. And 90% of the shows have been about the opioid epidemic. Um, and so I think when we are just, I think, I, I, I don't want to say, I don't want to use big words like courageous and things like that, right, when relating to myself, right? I'll use them re to related to you guys, but when we, I guess when, we, when we're able to just say yes, I'm just going to say yes. This is what it is. I'm going to make, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I can to make a difference here. I'm just going to say yes. When we do that, I think sky's the limit on the impact that we can have. Right. Um, so you all had connected 
and now the three of us have connected, right? And and we're going to go to battle together. And I'm very, very excited about that. Um, but I do want to start to roll into just a little bit about, we were talking about decriminalization, Dan, before you came on, and I know that you and I have talked about this and talked specifically about Portugal. And I want to talk a little bit more about that with you guys um, so Dan, I, I, you heard what Camille had to say because you were listening sort of in the background. Um, tell me what are your thoughts about decriminalization? The thoughts on decriminalization is again, like Camille, like most of us that are old school and, and maybe conservative, uh, it, it rings of legalization or something that's going to get to legalization. And it, it just, you know, we just so used to this tough on crime and, We've associated drug use with uh, a negative stigma, and we, we've actually associated it not as a health issue, even though we say uh, it's a health issue. I don't even know sometimes if we've bought that completely, okay? And we're, we're getting there, okay? So, so Camille hit it on the head. If it really is a health issue, what are we doing putting these sick people in jail? Uh, you know, uh, you know, so so it has started to make more and more sense to me that we should direct those resources. Uh, you brought up another good phrase, the reallocation. OK. And, you know, I, I'm not that politically correct either. So I, I probably have to stick with decriminalization. But you probably ought to explain that by say when I say that I mean reallocation of resources. OK. And because uh, and, that's what happens. You know, if, if you stop arresting users and going through the court systems and all the expenses to actually put them in jail and then house them in jail, okay? You're taking away the very money that you can spend on with Camille, and I agree on this, education and treatment. And so I am, you know, again, I'm trying to link all the advocacy groups together in the nation, okay? Because they all have the individual things that they're doing, and, and some of them involved a little bit in politics and trying to affect public policy, but they, does, they don't seem to have connected the power that they really have throughout the country, okay? So uh, I've been hearing now from these groups, and most of these groups now are starting to say decriminalization. It's just not me. There's quite a few of them are. Camille and I were on a, a, a conference call just this past weekend with about 50 people. Uh, some of them were in the United States, some of them were around the world. And, uh, you know, in almost one for one, they were all talking about uh, decriminalization, okay, and that we, we had to take another step. And, and that the, we've got to stop doing what we continue to do for the past 20 years, the, the you know, the idiot syndrome of, you know, mm -hmm. the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. So I, I do say this, we keep saying Portugal uh, flip. We got to change that to the American flip, okay, or the U.S. flip, because it, we, it probably won't come out exactly like Portugal. You know, we, we are a little different culture and different population, okay? But the general theme of what they did is something I really think we should go for. And, and I guess the other part of this is I happen to know that everything I did and tried to do was even harder than I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, you run into obstacles that you can't see, okay? And I, I just know because I felt this way, and I, a year or two ago, I would have argued with you tooth and nail about decriminalization, okay? And I know, but I talk to ordinary people that aren't 
as educated as I am and have the, what I call it, hard found, uh, what you want to call it, experience. Uh, the, mm-hmm. I found that these people, they really get afraid of decriminalization, okay? So we, we have to educate them and bring them along. But then we have to have a force that can go to these congressmen and all, okay, who have their own vested interest, okay, and they seem to be afraid that if they just get a little bit close to easing up on crime, and most people think it's a crime, they don't think it's a health issue, okay. We we have a lot of work to win this battle, and actually, even if we all, if all advocacy groups come together and say, this is what we should do, Mm -hmm. that means it's going to get done, okay, and that I can build this large, uh, uh, what I call a people's lobby, the pharmacist people's lobby. It's at tunnelofhope.org. If I can build this thing and have parents all around the, the country who have lost kids and advocacy groups all around the country backing us up, uh, we can affect policy change. Dan, can I, I, want, I want to interrupt for just a quick second, and, and I'll pose this question to both of you, but I'd love to hear from, from Camille. When I hear about when I think about the complexity of decriminalization and how it ties to so many other things, right? It ties to the privatization of the prison system, right? And how each person that goes to prison represents dollars to the prisons, right? And I think about that. Then I also think about the, uh, the unbalance or the imbalance of sentencing based on the color of somebody's skin, right? Which we know is a huge problem in this country, right? Um, it, it becomes, so when we think, okay, decriminalization, reallocation of resources, it, it kind of, we, even though we know it's a complex thing, it seems like simple and straightforward, right? But as it relates to all of these other issues, right? And they're all intertwined when it comes to the criminal justice system, right? It's all intertwined and it's all about money, right? Um, do you think, uh, let me ask you this, Camille, do you think it's possible? Do you think criminal decriminalization is possible in America? Portugal is a small country, right? And Dan and I had this conversation and it's, you know, it's a small country and I don't know how diverse the country is. I don't, I don't know enough about Portugal to speak to like the economic levels of the country and, you know, the different, you know, religions and, and, and colors of skin. And I, I just don't know enough about Portugal to speak to it, but I know that America is this huge melting pot with a million different sort of perspectives. Right. Um, do you think it's possible in America to come together on something like that? I, I frankly, I don't know, but I, I sure hope so. I think my biggest concern in the, in doing this in the United States would be, we have such a capitalistic nature to us. And I think even when we look at like nonprofits that are hoping, of course, they would be like hoping to do good, you know, the criminal justice system, you would think that that would be something that they would, you know, you wouldn't want anyone in prison. Eventually you would want everyone to be following the law, but in reality, there are dollars connected to every piece of that. And so for a lot of these organizations to continue running, we should hope that we we're not needed in 10 years. We should hope that prisons aren't needed, but it's, it kind of feeds that whole fire in terms of the dollars that drive all of it. So 
that is the biggest concern in terms of do I mean we want to hope that there's no more people in prison based upon um, substances and drug use and and right. you know those types of things but the prisons want to stay in business you know they, they, there's so many things that economically rely on this and so it becomes even more complex like when we think about it even more than just the logistics um, I think that it's possible but I think that it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of cultural change for us to then as a society see this as an entirely different issue um, yeah. and understand the benefits of why this can be so much more beneficial to our society if we change the way that we look at this. Mm. You know, I want to, I want to say this, that, you know, again, it's also intertwined, right? You got to think about it. the time that we've spent over the last few years addressing stigma, right? Because ultimately, right? The addition with, with stigma attached to it and stigma has many different faces, many different levels and many different lacks of understanding, right? Um, cause I can see a certain segment of America going, uh, why are we spending so much time on this when there's all these other problems that we could be worried about? Right. And, and cause this is the choice and this is their fault. And this is, you know, it's, sad and scary, right? That people still think like that in 2020, right? But they do, right? Um, you know, it's like, we have to, uh, this is such a long-term, I think it's a long-term goal, right? Um, and I think that the good news, if there is good news, is that we've, people have already been working on it without even knowing they're working on it by a by working on stigma, having taken a platform like this and being Miss America and, and being the pharmacist and having this docu-series and doing the work that you did and being out there, Dan, on a, in a, on a level that is just sometimes so hard to comprehend the level of the work that you've put in, right? Um, but so the work has begun, but it's such a long journey, right? Um, Dan, how, how, how are things going with organizing these groups and getting these groups to start to come together? How's that been for you? Actually, it's, it's going pretty good, okay? Uh, uh, I'm finding a lot of common ground. And I'll say this, if you, if you watch the docuseries, and I guess I don't wanna brag here, but you know, I, I'm tired of hearing it's gonna take a long time, okay? I, that's all I ever heard was it's gonna take a long time. Mm. And in the meantime, what, 150 a day die? That's 150 funerals. That's 150, 150 parents a day that go through the hell that I went through and that you see in every day, okay? Uh, and if you want to look at what are the chances of this changing now, the past 20 years, we have over a million people who have lost kids, okay? And just if we can create a fire under them, okay, I do think we can push this thing along. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen in six months or a year, uh, but hey, look, I think we can do this. And, and it, by the way, now, there's, it's going to be a transitional basis, okay? But I think we might be able to start doing this in just a couple of years. In two or three years, we can start a transition. And just what you just said, too, just think about this. this the, the reason why the stigma is as bad as it is, okay, because addiction has not been treated as a disease. Okay. In fact, it's been, 
it's been treated as a crime. I mean, th th that's what that's what addicts that use uh, get tied up in the court system. And then if they use uh, three times or wh whatever, they do a little tiny petty theft or something to, to get their medication, they're criminals. So we, we've actually created the stigma, okay? Now, it's gonna take a little while to undo that. Uh, you're right, I think it's already started, okay? Uh, but no, I think, look, all things are possible with God, okay? And I think God's on our side and the, the parents have lost kids on our side and all the advocates out there are gonna be on our side. And if we can ever coalesce and, and get this strength together we can make this change and we can start it happening hopefully real soon. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm an old school guy, right? So I came up the old school way, right? And uh, so I got, I found the gift of recovery in state prison, right? So I started, I started using at a very, very young age and, you know, my story is, is very colorful and, and sort of sad. And, 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 and um, you know, I had a, I, what I like to call a very tough paper route. And, um, you know, I, prison saved my life, right? And I'm not saying that, um, I'm not saying that that's for everybody. Clearly, it's not. We're not going to arrest ourselves out of this problem, right? But for this person... For me, prior to my starting to, like, I started, I was committed to the Department of Youth Services. I was in foster care. I was in group homes. I did all the, I sort of went right up the chain. And when I was 17 years old, I went to state prison, maximum security state prison. Probably not the best place in the world for a 17-year-old kid, right? But prior to that, I had never heard of a detox, a rehab, any of those things. I never heard of any of them. I didn't know they existed. Now, that was a long time ago, right? Now, that's a very mainstream thing in the medical, in terms of medical treatment, you know, addiction treatment programs are very mainstream. Mental health programs, incredibly mainstream, thank God. And I don't, I can't look back on my life and say, you know, I can't make a defining moment other than if I never picked up, Right. That like the trajectory that my life would have taken, right? But uh, for me, looking back, I know that I had to go through everything that I went through to get to where I am today. That was my journey, and I'm not speaking for anybody else, right? I had to be, I was finally beaten into a state of reasonableness, if you will, right? That I looked around, I was doing I was, I did five years, got out for six months and consumed as much drugs and alcohol as I could and went right back. And I was back and I was doing nine years. And I knew if I, if I did nine years, I was going to be older than 30 when I got out. And that's so old. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started to try to create an illusion that I was trying to get better. So I started doing uh, different, uh, 12 step groups and self help groups and whatever else. And I also started to come back to the faith of my childhood. I started to look towards God as a resource. Right. And, um, and I'll share a very quick story with you. And again, this is my journey, not everybody's journey, but I was in state prison in Massachusetts and I was cleaning, clean and sober. 
which was the terminology at the time, for a couple of months, and Mother Teresa came to the prison that I was in. Yes. Do the research. I'll send you the photos. But she came to the prison that I was in, and it changed me in a way that is impossible for me to explain. It changed me. You know, in hindsight, I now feel like uh, God was showing off. Right. He was like, listen, I've been trying to pull you, bring you home and do all this stuff. And you haven't been listening. So I'm sending my number one assistant to that maximum security state prison in Massachusetts so that you can see my face, so that you can see humility and you can see service and you can see love real, real up close. Right. So. Yeah, it, it's a great story, and, I, and you know, I wish that I didn't have to have lived it, right? Because I wish I didn't spend the entire 80s in jail, but I did, right? And um, But I'm old school, and, and I feel like um, I, I worry about coddling. I worry about enabling. I worry about interrupting of consequences, right? Because, yes, we're people that have a chemical imbalance. Yes, we are people who are addicted. And in yes, to feed that addiction, I, I won't speak for anybody else. I did some really crazy and outrageous things, right? And, and I broke the law a lot, right? And, you know, uh, I, I think that for, just for me, and I'm very specific about that all the time. I don't speak for anybody else. I speak for myself when I talk about myself. I needed all my consequences to get to a place where I said, I don't want to live like this anymore, right? And, um, but then what happened with this opioid epidemic was that the game was changed, right? And what I mean by that is I had all of these sort of these cards that were stacked against me right? That I was, there's a very good chance that I was going to have problems with substances, right? As soon as I picked one up, it was clear I was going to, I was going to go for a run, right? This opioid epidemic thing changed the whole landscape because it took young people that had never exhibited any kind of addictive nature or any kind of addictive problems. And they were great students and they were, you know, they were on the fast track to be the future leaders of our country and whatever, right? And in a, in, based on an injury or something, in a very short time, took them from that fast track to success to a fast track to death, right? And that's the difference, I think, when I talk about my own personal life and my journey as it relates to this epidemic, right? There's a difference. And that's, that difference is the difference that helps me to consider decriminalization as an option, right? It helps me to consider anything as an option because I'm a believer in where there is breath, there is hope, right? And when there is no breath, there's no hope. You're right. Jim, can I interject something right now? Look, look sure. I, I don't know all the crime you committed that other than use, okay? Uh, but in Portugal, I think you'd have been in jail too. <laughs> okay, I mean, you know, uh, when they say decriminalization, they're not talking about. Uh, they're talking about 
putting users in jail. And they may allow some minor, minor infractions on that, okay? But mm -hmm. if we have a system and, and somebody's really been doing some uh, really nasty stuff, uh, they ought to spend maybe less time in jail. And in jail, they ought to be getting more treatment, okay? But uh, mm -hmm. jail's a place when you're crossing that bridge into true crime and serious crimes, we're not going to decriminalize that. And I do want to say one other thing. I want to show you another picture now. This isn't of Miss America. This is of somebody picture, more man. beautiful than Miss America. Wow. This, this is, I can see this. There you go. Oh, yeah. That is Miss Mother Teresa. She's, she's been on my wall ever since I went on my mission, which, again, you know, you talk about your mission with God, but... Picture. I, I had a mission, too, and I, I, I bargained with God, you know. I, I said, God, if you help me find my son's killer, and I can get him off the street, and no one can get killed, okay? That's right, yeah. I, that I would create tunnel of hope and go on a mission, and that's what I've been doing. And so... Uh, so you know all about guilt. You know all about uh, uh, good Catholic guilt. Well, listen... I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to sort of try to wrap this up now because um, the time is near. So um, I just want to say, first of all, I want to thank you both again. Um, and I, I'm I'm left with so much to think about, and I know now what the rest of my day is like, right? Because I'm gonna kind of go through it like a character in uh, a Spike Lee movie when they're sort of on that moving sidewalk, right? Uh, and, and they're just going through their life. And it's because that's how I feel right now. I feel like there's so much that needs to be done. There's so much in front of us, right? But you said something very important, um, Dan, a minute ago. And, that, and for me, it's, it's the motto that I live by. And that is nothing is too big for God, right? And... That doesn't mean that I just got to go home and pray that God's going to fix it, right? That means I got to go. I got to pick up a shovel. I got to pick up a pick. I got to pick up a hammer. I got to I got to be willing to roll up my sleeves and be accountable and to do what I can do. And 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 to be honest with you, it's not just settle to do what I can do, but to do more, right? Because so far, both of you have talked about thinking that like this, maybe this isn't possible or maybe how did this happen to me or how did I get to this place? And then nobody's a better example of I can do more, I think, than you, right? And we watched it in that docuseries of, you know what, I can't, I can't, I can't stop, right? Even when it started to look like maybe you were going off the rails a little bit, I can't stop, right? You became obsessed about making a difference. You became obsessed about something that was so important. And I guess maybe we need to be a little bit obsessed about saving other people's lives, right? And, and, and helping people to live, to live the life that maybe they was meant to live and not to live the life under a cloud of sadness and brokenness and addiction, right? Because that's ultimately what's happening is we have a, we have a whole generation of young people just kind of wandering around, lost, fully, in, fully addicted. And, uh, and, and we also, I, I don't want to go off topic, but we also have a, a, a whole generation of senior citizens who are totally addicted 
to pain medications. And, and, and so uh, I want to thank you both. I look forward to being in the trenches with both of you, right? I look forward to being in the foxhole with both of you, right? There's so much to be done. And if you know that you're standing next to somebody that's willing to do whatever it takes, man, it makes life a little bit easier. So I want to thank you both. Camille, thank you so much for, for your passion, for your, um, for your willingness, and for your yes. And Dan, I love you, brother. And, uh, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to, to getting to know you better and to spending more time with you. And, uh, yeah, man, God bless you both. And together we can make a difference. Hey guys, Jim Wahlberg here from The Bottom Line. Listen, I just want to remind you, please make sure you subscribe to our YouTube page at Wall Street Productions. And I also want to remind you, push that little bell. Just push it, man. It takes one second. Then that will notify you when anything's going on with The Bottom Line. Thanks.